Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. I want to just read a chapter of the book of James to you, which is James chapter 3, and then we will um, push in from there. And the beginning is an ouch for me, and you'll see why in just a second. Not many of you should be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ouch. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a word of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Oh, that was pretty intense, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty good. So I'm really just going to look at the first 12 verses uh, as we continue this series. Can I just start by asking a question? Can you remember the last time that someone said something to you that hurt you? When long after the conversation's over, what they said is still rattling around in your head and probably in your heart as well. If you're anything like me, you can remember exactly where you are, were, exactly what they said, what you were wearing, what they were wearing, and the whole context of the conversation. In fact, you could probably give me a list of all the things in the last few days that people have said about you that have been unkind or hurtful or that hurt you in some way. And in most cases, the people who said that didn't set off to say things that were going to hurt you or be hurtful or have a negative impact on you. 
It came out of a conversation. And I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself. It's often the throwaway lines, the throwaway comments that people say that sting the most. And you will know the ones that I mean. The kind that stick and gnaw away at you. You're fat. You're ugly. You're stupid. I can't believe you did that. You're always doing that. You're so annoying. And the list goes on. Or maybe if you stop and think and you're being honest with yourself, you have said something yourself in the last couple of days that has hurt somebody else. Maybe it was, again, an off-the-cuff comment that didn't come out quite the way that you thought it would, that slightly belittled someone inadvertently. Maybe you were frustrated with a work colleague or a friend or a family member and you lashed out, not with actions, but with words. And maybe you feel that you're justified to say what you did. They weren't listening. Or that thing they kept doing really irritated you. Or I don't know know how many times you have to say something to them before they get it. Perhaps they couldn't see your point of view. Or they'd said something to you that had got under your skin and you just the reflex was to throw something straight back at them in, in, a, in a moment of not thinking. Maybe you are kicking yourself for what you said because you didn't mean it, or at least you didn't mean it to come out quite like that. Maybe it's the elephant in the room when you see this person. You know that you said it. They know you said it. You know that they know that you know you said it. You know that they know that you know that they know that they said it. And it is just there, like a bad smell, like garlic. (laughs) You may have apologized, but the words, they're out there. And the damage has been done, and you're not quite sure how to kind of row back from that comment, that situation that you found yourself in. And I know in my own life how the things that people have said have been far more damaging, or in some cases devastating, than the person realized. Years ago, um, I was living at home, I was a student, so I basically didn't do very much, sorry, students. Um, but, um, but I didn't, I, you know, I worked out how to do all my lectures in two and a half days. And, um, and if I couldn't find a parking space, I drove home. So, um, And my mum was a single parent. She was working really hard. And I could tell what sort of a mood she was in by how she shut the front door. And that was if I was at the top of the house. And she came in one time. And I'd basically, you know, I'd not cleaned up after. made some lunch or whatever about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And she said, Bill, you're just like Mr. Blobby. And it sounds like a totally innocuous comment. But it really, really, like, it just... I don't know what it was, it's like, it's such a completely innocuous comment she didn't mean, uh, but it really just like stuck somewhere. And I found it, like, to be honest with you, it really impacted my self-esteem for quite a while. I mean, I know I didn't literally look like Mr. Blobby, because uh, I'm, I'm not pink and haven't got yellow spots on me, but you know, you kind of get the gist. And we've talked about it, and it's all fine now, it's all water under the bridge, but it just really, really hurt. And... Um, you, all of us will have had experiences where someone says something that they, maybe they did mean, maybe they didn't mean, whatever, that have just landed. And it's often said, isn't it, that people are like tea bags. You never know what's in them until they're put in hot water. 
And while James, so the context of this letter that we're reading is James is writing to the early Jewish Christian church who are experiencing persecution. And what he'd hoped is that because of the persecution, they would kind of pull together and look out for each other. But actually the opposite was happening. Stress and fear does all sorts of things to people. I don't know how you respond to fear. I know how I respond to fear, and it's often not very well. And so they had been, there'd been factions and they'd been griping with each other and sniping each other and, and there'd been, um, so not only had there not been unity, but there'd been sort of massive divisions. And so James starts his message by talking to the leaders and saying, what you say is really important as a leader. Now, I happen to be a leader here, but most of you are leaders in some context or other. And our words matter. And because of that, we are, God holds us to a higher standard. And that, that should be a pressure in a good way to actually think about some of the things uh, that we say. And I want to start by saying I am acutely aware of my own, own shortcomings in this particular area. And I'm work, we're all works in progress, all of us, and I'm doing everything that I can to try and sometimes respond to uh, 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 moments I'm not expecting better than in the past perhaps I have. But James makes the point that what comes out of our mouth is a good litmus test for actually what's going on in our hearts. If you can control your tongue, it's actually a reflection that your soul is probably in quite a good place. And the thing is, I don't know about you, looking out, I know there are some really saintly people here, but I find it difficult to do that all the time. I can do it some of the time if I've had enough sleep and I've had enough to eat and I'm not is it hangry, mangry, whatever it is, you, you know what I'm talking about. If I haven't had enough sleep, I've not had enough food, I am just grumpy as you like. And it requires quite a lot of work and quite a lot of discipline for all of us to control what it is that comes out of our mouth all the time. And James uses two metaphors to make this point. The first is horses, and horses were the most powerful machines of his time. And they needed bits in their mouths to control them and to control the direction that they went in. And this can only happen if a horse has been broken in or kind of unwilded, if you like, sort of domesticated in some way. And it's only then that they can submit to their master and go where their master directs them with the reins. And then he talks about the tongue like the rudder of a ship. And rudders of ships in those days were shaped a little bit like tongues. They were the last, uh, ships were the largest moving vehicles at the time. Tongues may be a small rudder, James says, but he says they can make really big boasts. That little thing that happened that became a big thing. And I know in church we can be so guilty of that. You know, a couple of hundred people come and we say hundreds. A thousand and one people come and we say thousands. So we're all, none of us are um, uh, immune from hyperbole. But why are words so important to James? Well, there's a couple of different reasons which I'm going to run through with you now. The first is the world was created when God said, let there be light. He spoke it out. And when he spoke, life began. Words create worlds. God made us his children by the word he addressed to us. In James 1.18, it says the word of truth, the word, the spoken word. James says in James 1.26 that... God's children should be marked out by their careful and controlled speech. For James, how we control our tongues is more than an evidence of maturity. It's the way that we achieve it. And James follows this by saying uh, the tongue or our words have huge power for harm or uh, for good. 
Look at what one small match can do. Set fires alight. Now, when I was younger, we used to go down to Brackleshan Bay quite often. There's this gorgeous old pub, a proper old pub, you know, with a thatched roof. It's been there for hundreds of years. And um, we hadn't been down there for a while, a few years ago, and we went down, and we could smell something before we could see it. And as we got closer, what we saw was the burnt-out shell of the pub and the thatch just still smouldering away on the ground. And it, set a fire, and it had been set on fire. And what had happened was the landlord had decided that the windowsills uh, needed repainting. So what he did was he got a, a, a torch, a blowtorch, to burn off uh, the paint. Oh dear. The whole thing went up in flames. The point that James is making is, is that the tongue has huge potency, a bit like that blowtorch, wrong place, wrong time, to bless or uh, to curse. And actually, what we say, James would argue, uh, reflects the nature of our character. In James's time, kings and rulers used to put statues of themselves in towns and cities. And if someone walked past and insulted a statue, they were treated, they were um, punished as if they had said that to the ruler themselves because they were, they were cursing or they were speaking ill of the image of the king. That was just as bad. And in the same way, when we speak ill to people or of people, we are speaking ill of two, pe- uh, two people or of people who are made in the image of God. That is the point that James is making. And finally, he makes the point that you can't get fresh water from a salty, uh, from salt water, and fig trees can't bear olives. You cannot speak both good and ill of people. They're not compatible. Words are too important to be thrown around thoughtlessly. And it's not just James who speaks about the power of words and the importance of taming the tongue. Proverbs 18:21 says this: "Death and life." are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Psalm 19, verse 4, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And then Jesus, Matthew writes in Matthew 15, 18, says, but what comes out of, a, out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. Whew. Ow, that's quite full on, isn't it? But it's that important. So what can we do about this? Excuse my appalling handwriting. Well, I think the first thing is to recognize that words matter. God, as I said, spoke the world into being. They have huge, huge, huge power. One of the ways that we've adapted as human beings is uh, something by, through something called the negativity bias. The reason we're all still here is because we worked out when we were running away from dinosaurs or lions or whatever it was or, you know, wild animals, that if it was dangerous, we remembered it because that's what kept us alive. And one of the things that hasn't gone away as we have evolved as a species is remembering and holding on to negative or dangerous things. So that is why, it, it, like, if you have someone say something positive, it will sometimes wash off your back. But if you have a negative experience or someone says something negative to you, it just 
gets stuck because that is your kind of reptile brain remembering and logging danger, danger, danger over there. So while it's good for our survival as a species, I don't know about you, but it's not great for our self-esteem. Second thing is we need to decide that we're going to use our tongues and our words to speak life. And that sounds super easy, I know that, and the reality can be something slightly more challenging, at least for me. So what does it look like in practice? And I'm trying to do it in my own life, and it's hard. It's easy to say nice things about people when they're there or that you know well. I, want, I don't know about you, but I want to create a good impression with people. But actually, how am I when I'm with my nearest and dearest and I, my guard is down? You know, that is the litmus test of actually you know, what is going on in our hearts and you know, with the words that we speak. It's easy to, as I said, you meet someone for the first time, unless you're uh, very unusual, you want people to like you. At least I, maybe that's, I don't know, is that just me? No. Um, so I guess we need to be uh, thermostats rather than uh, thermometers. Obviously, keeping an eye on the temperature and not having the heating on too often because of global warming and all the rest of it. So uh, let's just look at a couple of examples of things that we can do maybe differently that can make a big difference. Gossip. Well, Nikki is amazing at this. And I don't mean the gossip bit. <laughs> I mean, she just is so annoying. She just refuses to engage in it at all. She refuses to, like, moan. You know, I have never, I, hand on heart, I have never heard her say a bad word about anybody ever. Like, ever. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have people that we know, and um, some are amazing, and some are slightly more challenging, and I'll, be the, I'll you know, have a moan in the car, and she just won't listen, or she'll turn it around and say something nice about the person, which is amazing and slightly frustrating at the same time. Again, more a reflection of her and me than anything else. What about when people are saying something negative about somebody? We can either jump in and engage in that, or we can say, we can actually, we don't have to be sort of, well, I'm gonna say something nice. Just say something nice about the person. Uh, we were, when we first moved down to this part of the world, there was this dad who, whenever we were at a school match, would come and say hello. And he was just, you know, so kind. And we were at a match tea, and he walked off, and uh, one of the other parents said, oh, he's such a wet fish, that man. And Nikki just said, you know what? He was the first person to be friendly to us. Like, she didn't slap, she didn't slap this other person down, but she just turned the conversation round, saying something positive. If we need to give constructive feedback to someone, make sure it is constructive. Now, this may be for your work or for your life, whatever. But if you can begin with a place where, you, where the person knows that your heart is for them to win or to succeed or whatever your particular adjective is, it makes a huge difference. I used to be a teacher, and there are all sorts of ways you can give feedback as a teacher. Uh, some of them you can just sort of you know, draw a red line through something and say sort of the equivalent of rubbish. Or you can give some feedback, this is how you could do this better. That doesn't mean that you're not honest. But, you know, sometimes we speak the truth in love, but there's quite a lot of truth and sometimes not a lot of love. Use social media to be uh, a force for good. Uh, it's really none of my business who Manchester United manager, United manager is. I don't support Manchester United, by the way but it's, it's none of my business. 
And actually, I really hope that whoever it is who makes decisions about Manchester United and Norwich City, or whoever it is, take, take absolutely no notice of anybody on social media, because it's, you know, it's not their business. Let's decide that actually when we use social media, we're only going to do it to, say, put positive things out there. Let's decide that we're not going to... It's just so easy. And it's really hard sometimes to get that fine line between banter and negativity. And sometimes, actually, I think um, we know when we've slightly crossed over and we, we say, oh, it's just a bit of banter. Let's just be... It doesn't mean we have to become sort of pious bores in how we speak, but we just have to like, just be aware that actually we have, as I said, huge power uh, to impact somebody's day. If you're giving feedback to somebody, different from constructive criticism, but if you're giving them feedback, one of the things that I really appreciated when I worked at HTB was Nicky Gumbel's sermon feedback was incredible. I mean, it was, it was um, just so detailed, but so helpful. And another example, so for example, um, Hope Andrea, who does the live stream. You know, she turns up early, she works really hard, she's built a team. And when we give feedback, let's make it specific. So saying, rather than just saying, well done, which is, of course, better than nothing, what about, well done, Hope? One, I really appreciate the way that you have built a team and that you just work so hard and you get here so early. Just a little bit of extra things so that it becomes more specific. The more specific it is, the more you've had to think about it, so the more you mean it. And secondly, the more that it will mean to the person who you are speaking to. And remember James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. I don't know about you, but my prayer is often, Lord, open my eyes and shut my mouth. Before I came to faith, it, the family that I met that sort of led me to Jesus and their friends, the thing that made the difference to me actually wasn't their professions about Jesus, though that was, I was struck by that. I, what, for me, the clincher was the way that they spoke about each other. I have never been, well, had never up until that point, been in a context where people were so affirming of each other, not in a kind of cheesy, sickening kind of way, but in just in a really positive, earthy way. Lots of humour and all the rest of it. But I was so struck by that because I was so used to being in a culture where people were just so unkind about people when they weren't there. And, you know, if, they, if, the, if these friends of mine, if they were kind about you when you were there, they were even kinder about you when you weren't. Like, how provocative is that? Wouldn't it be amazing if the worst thing that someone could say about you is you're so positive about people, you're so nice about people? Like them, I want to be somebody who's known for encouraging people. I want people, and it doesn't always work this way, unfortunately, but I want, when I spend time with people, to feel people feel better having spent time with me, not worse or not glad it's over and looking at their watch and thinking, how much longer is this guy got to keep going on for? I want my tongue to be a horse that's been unwilded. I want it to be like a ship whose rudder is under control, who speaks words that are like fresh spring water. I want somebody to be somebody who only blesses, whose life produces good fruit. Um, another friend of mine, he's a guy called Tim Wimberley, he's an American guy, uh, he's a youth pastor, or he was when I got to know him, again, had just this phenomenal ability just to speak the most affirming things uh, to and around the young people that he worked with. And the legacy of that is, uh, I met him 28 years ago, 
and the number of, you know, the number of kids who are still in close, well, they're adults now, with children of their own, uh, who are still in touch with him and who are still following Jesus is, I, I believe, is down to the way that he just made a decision. He said, Lord, I want to be someone who wakes up every day and says, I want to speak life everywhere I go. And I talked to him about it once, and I said, I said I, just explain to me what your thinking is. I mean, I kind of understood it. And he just, he got, he teared up. And he, he said, um, this verse has been my North Star my whole life, it's my whole Christian life. And it's this, he who loves a pure heart and speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. I want to have the king for a friend. Let's stand. Uh, I, I recognize that some of what we talked about is intense, and there is no condemnation here at all. We are all works in progress, and we are, I know we're all trying our best, and life is trying and difficult and challenging and all the rest of it. But the, one of the things that we can do, like a, one, there's two other things that we can do. The first is to make the most of every opportunity to be thankful for something and speak gratitude out. Uh, the amount of evidence now in terms of the impact of gratitude on our mental well-being and our spiritual well-being is just extraordinary. It's overwhelming. And the second thing is we can use our mouths to worship. So in response to what we've heard, and let's decide together, I'm going to pray in a minute, let's decide that we are going to be people who worship, but who don't just sing words, but who live words. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of James, which is just so hard, but so good. Father, would you continue to work in us? We read in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. When you are growing your fruit in us, we know that the, the outworking of that will be that we will, have, we will be people whose speech is increasingly gracious whose words are like fresh water for a parched soul. So would you continue to work in us? And Lord, also for those of us who have had words spoken over us that maybe years ago that have lodged deep, Lord, would you begin or continue the process of healing those words? In Jesus' name, amen.